Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Well, I'm Brian Wiggins. I'm the pastor here at River of Life, and it's great to see you this morning. Next Sunday is our Great Commission Sunday, and we are taking a special offering, setting apart a special day to take a special offering. Many of you give faithfully to River of Life and to Alliance Missions, and I praise you for that. I'm thankful for that. And next Sunday, we're going to do something extra special. We're asking you to go home and pray between now and next Sunday about what the Lord would put on your heart. Would there be an amount that he would say, yes, in order to get these 60 missionaries out, this would be an amount that I would come prepared to give next Sunday. And uh, we're going to take a special offering for that in a, in a distinct way. And uh, we would ask that you don't just go, oh, I'm going to just move my tithe check over to that, that next Sunday. But instead, pray about it. Think about it. What would the Lord put on your heart in order to give to help get these 60 missionaries? I am so excited because Jesus said that he came for sheep in John chapter 10. He said he came for the sheep that he knows, but there are some that are not yet part of his flock. And that's why we do this. This is why this matters. And this is why sending missionaries uh, to different places around the world matter. When we give to things like this, we're also giving to the Kosovo team that we're a part of uh, with the Alliance uh, team that's there. And so we want to give to those who have never heard. So next Sunday, come prepared for that. And we'll do that uh, in our service next week. Well, it is Mother's Day. Thankfully, Taylor gave you a warning. I sure hope you knew that. It's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to our moms. And uh, let's give them a round of applause. Moms, you are awesome. You have one of the toughest roles in the family and in all of society. And we are so thankful for mothers and what you pour into the lives of kids. Whether your kids are now adults or they're still in the home. Either way, what you do and what you have done matters. We know this, but you never stop parenting. And so if you're a grandma, you're still parenting in many ways. If you don't have kids, you have a special and unique role also. And God values women. God values women's place in the church and in, in families and in our society. And we want to be also honoring of that in, in, uh, at, here at River of Life. And as you think about it, I know that Mother's Day brings up a bunch of mixed emotions. For some, it's a great day. For others, it, it touches on some areas, areas of sorrow in our life for a number of reasons. But within all that, I would say this. One, we have something in common. Every one of us has a mom. (laughs) Many of them are still living, and we can honor those mothers. Number two, if you are a woman who doesn't have a child, you do have a role with people that are in your realm that most likely are younger than you that you know. And as a part of a church body, it's a unique position that you play. It doesn't matter whether you have your biological children or not, or adopted children or not. Gloria Furman, who's the author of of Missional Motherhood, said this about this idea. She said, mothering or nurturing is not just a calling for women who have biological or adopted children. Mothering is a calling for all women. Every Christian woman is called to the spiritual motherhood of making disciples of all nations. True. 
Every woman is called to that, and you play a unique and an important role, and we want to honor you this morning. Today, just as a small token, a small way of saying how important you are, ladies, if you're an adult woman, as you're going out today, we have a flower for you. Uh, kids or not, we just want to honor you as, as a unique, important role uh, in our church body. So pick one of those up as you head out. Uh, there'll be some people positioned at the door to hand one to you. Well, let's pray as we dive into the word of God this morning. Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you have given us your word, which reveals you and it reveals your heart. It reveals your love for us. And Lord, this morning we've been singing things that are birthed out of scripture that come from a place that are tied and rooted to scripture. And Father, we thank you for all the things that we've been able to sing this morning about the glory of your son, of the fact that you fight for us, of the fact that Jesus gave his life up for us, that you've created this world And God, there's so much we have to praise you for. And this morning, we want to praise you and thank you that you are just who you are. And we thank you that this morning, when we look at your word, it does speak to us. And it's pertinent to today. It's relevant to our lives right now, all these years later. And God, we want it to teach us and instruct us. And so God, would you do just that as we spend some moments in in your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. The Kardashians and the Rockefellers, two very different families. Well, in our culture, we have an age-old saying that says, wealth is made and lost in three generations. In America, we might say you go from shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve in three generations. In Japan, they would say you go from rice patties to rice patties in three generations. Wealth, in other words, rarely lasts beyond grandkids. Taxes and spending and the dilution of wealth through children and their children's children and then the inevitable spoiledness effect that we see happen takes a toll on family fortunes. But the Kardashians and the Rockefellers, the Kardashians are a family that many of us are familiar with just because pop culture is infatuated with them. But this family with four adult children who who are now common names in our media. But the means of their fame don't really make them upstanding people. The way that they have come to fame, they inherited their money from their lawyer father, Robert Kardashian, who was the famous lawyer of O.J. Simpson, who's now, this lawyer who's now passed away, left his fortune to his children, who kind of typified this spoiled child effect. And went off the deep end. Scandals and lawsuits and shock have just surrounded them since they emerged into popular media. Their story is not yet over. It's not yet written. But then you have the Rockefellers, this family coming from a lot further back. They've defied all the odds when it comes to family wealth. They've now uh, inherited and gone through seven generations and now 170 heirs to to the the substantial wealth that has accumulated to 11 billion (laughs) dollars that's more than a hundred years later after after rockefeller the original rockefeller passed away after he built his his fortune in the standard oil company you know their family is so different They've remained largely united without all these scandals, without children that seem to be the wild child. 
and without the, the plague that seems to hit so many other families that inherit wealth. Today, what we're going to look at is the issue of inheritance. What's passed on to us, what's given to us, and what we do with an inheritance. There are some differences between an inheritance that comes from wealth and an inheritance of faith. Some major differences, and we'll look at those in just a minute. But we're going to read the story from Joshua chapter 23, and I would like you to turn there if you have a Bible. We'll have it on the screen, but I'd love for you to have it in front of you. If you have a device, go ahead and turn to there. And here we are, the second to last chapter in Joshua, as we've marched all the way through this book. In the last three chapters, there's a theme that has been building, and it has to do with the purity of the hearts of the people of Israel. Now that they've gone through all of this stuff of coming into the promised land, what will they do? What will happen to these people in the future? They've been faithful, but will they continue to be faithful? In the last three chapters of Joshua, each time in each chapter, he gets an assembly or a group of people together who sit down and they listen to what Joshua has to say. And so here we come in into the spot in the book of Joshua, chapter 23, and we're going to read through this story together. Let's take a moment to look at this chapter. It says this, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. In other words, don't forget that. It's an important line. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Verse 6. Therefore... Be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside, not turning aside from it, neither to the right or, nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to a flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. Verse 11, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. 
But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commands you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. That's the word of God. You'll notice in verse 1, as this chapter starts out, Joshua is now, as he calls himself, and thankfully he describes himself this way, as old and advanced in years. That's two ways of saying the, old thing, the same thing. Advanced in years, he's old. He's getting to the end of his life. This is Mother's Day. Children, do not say to your mother, you are now advanced in years. Never. It will not go well with you. We'll find you someday. As a person comes to the end of their life, many times they're in an evaluative state wanting to pass on what they have learned, what, what they have accumulated from their life. They want to pass on, they're reflective, and their words are important at the end of their life. Now, I remember about a decade ago when my grandfather was coming to the end of his life. My grandpa, the interesting story with him is he grew up in a home that did not know Jesus as Savior. He grew up in a home where he was not being taught about Jesus and salvation through Jesus Christ alone. He was never challenged as a young boy to put his trust in Jesus. But there was a man in his neighborhood that was faithful to God's call on his life. This man taught a Sunday school for boys. And in this small church, he, he there weren't very many kids. And so he decided, if I'm going to have a Sunday school class, I'm going to have to go out and find the kids. So he went and he invited the boys in his neighborhood. And in that day, it was much easier to do. But he invited the boys in his neighborhood to come with him to church. And they did. All except for one boy in the neighborhood. Grandpa, Herb was his name. And he wouldn't go. And he refused to go for years the other boys, one by one, had put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. But my grandpa refused. He refused to be there. But one day, it was as if the Spirit of God, the Spirit was working on him. There was a Saturday when there was a special guest speaker who had come to town. And this man happened to be a Native American. And my grandpa was enthralled with the idea that this guy would be there. And he wanted to see and hear him. And so he went to a special meeting. And there he heard the gospel. And he gave his life to Christ. He was the first person in the generations following in my family that knew Jesus as Savior. And out of that came so many dozens now that know Jesus as their Savior. A legacy, a heritage that's been passed on for generation after generation. But the Spirit of God started a work in my grandfather. Ten years ago when I talked to him, I called him. I went into my bedroom and I called him. And I knew this would likely be the last time I talked to him. And grandpa passed on to me. Didn't think I was going to get emotional. He passed on to me a number of things that mattered. He reflected on his life and the things that he had gone through and the things that God had taught him through all those years. And he said, Brian, these are the things that matter. But at the core of it, as he knew I was a follower of Jesus and he knew I was in ministry, he wanted me to remain faithful to the Lord. Continue to love God. Serve him. Be surrendered to him. Let the spirit lead your life. He passed on to me things that he had learned. You see, at the end of our lives, we'll want to sum up what really matters. Won't you? 
You'll come to the end and you'll begin to think about what really matters in life. And we'll summarize the things that we've learned. If you were to learn today that you were going to die tomorrow and your family gathered around you, what are the things that you would want to say? Maybe you'd want to tell loved ones how much you appreciate them, how much you love them. You'd want to communicate that to them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you likely would want to say, walk with God, journey with him, let him lead your life. Stay focused on what matters the most. Don't get distracted by all the side things. That's exactly what Joshua is doing in these last three chapters. He is summarizing, he's making statements that are things that we need to pay attention to and to listen to. Think of all that Joshua has gone through that have brought him to this point where he's saying these things. Joshua has sat under the mentorship or the leadership of Moses. Raise your hand if you've ever been mentored by somebody. Okay, who's been mentored by Moses? <laughs> All the hands go down. Wouldn't you love to be mentored by Moses? Joshua sat under the leadership of Moses, right-hand man to him. He was, he was right there along the way. He's been through that. He's been in the situation where he went and spied out the land, and he had faith, but he came back, and the rest of Israel said, no, it's too hard. We are not going into the land. We're going to stay right where we are. He watched that failure, but then he watched God's redemptive side where God said, yes, now what's going to happen is there's going to be 40 years of wandering in the desert. But he saw how faithful God was and what God taught Israel faith-wise all the way through that. God provided manna. God took care of them. He led them with fire and a cloud. He did all of these things and Joshua has watched that. He's come into the promised land, and as they crossed the Jericho, God, he saw God do this. They came up to the Jordan River. They couldn't cross it at flood time, but they could cross it because God was on their side, and he stopped the waters. Joshua saw that. Joshua had observed, and he had watched what went on as they came up to Jericho. And they looked at the walls of Jericho, and how could anybody possibly defeat this city? They were called to take it. God's, it was part of how God was executing his judgment on the Canaanites there. But how could they do it? And he saw God take it down. He came up to Ai and he saw how they failed in that moment because of the sin in the camp. They saw how Israel repented in that moment and how seriously God took sin. He saw the sun stand still. He saw Israel move into all of Canaan and get the promise that God had said would come. That's the man who's talking to us. That's the man who's about to summarize some things to us that are vital for us to hear. And what he's going to do today, what I hope we can do, is learn from some of the things that he warns us about and take heed to the ways that we can avoid those pitfalls. You see, Joshua knows something about people, Yahweh's people, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And he knows this, same illustration as I used last week. When the fire is on, our faith tends to be hot. It tends to be just cooking with the Lord. We are doing so well. Picture this as a stove. The heat is faith. Here we are sitting on the stove. As soon as we come off the fire, what tends to happen to us is we cool off. And Joshua understands that Israel is about to hit a moment where they may cool off for the Lord. And he realizes that a generation, the small pans, a generation might come behind them that hasn't had their own experience with the Lord. They haven't seen all the stuff that God did. 
but this generation's going to come behind and will they have their own experience with God? This generation cannot do this and be okay with the Lord because the pan was never designed to cook inside of another pan. As some people have said, God has his own children. He does not have grandchildren. Every generation must have their own experience with Christ. Every generation must know Jesus. Now, those of you who are more theologically minded, don't go too far with this illustration and tear it apart. I know there are flaws in it. But do you get it? Do you get the concept, the cooling off idea, the transfer of faith? God wants generations to know. And will we listen? Last week, I was very focused on the parents. And I talked to us about parents. Are we passing on our faith to children? Are we teaching them? Are we doing everything we can to warm them up? And yet we can't do everything for them. They have to know Jesus themselves. Today, I want to talk on a different angle. Some of you are this small pan. Some of you are the the person who is in a spot where you have come from a Christian home, you've come from a place and you're either a kid right now, you're a teenager right now, you're a young adult. And you're in a place of life where you're making some decisions that you're looking at your life and this is going to be so relevant to you what I'm going to talk about today. You see, the passing on of our faith matters to us and I don't know if it yet matters to you if you're in that place. But it matters to me. I can't make it happen. Only the Spirit of God can make it happen. But he can do that through his word. So I want to teach you his word today and some things that that are from here. Now, I know that if you are the small pan, there are some unique struggles because I'm a small pan too. I came from a home where my parents knew the Lord. They were faithful. They were devoted to Christ. They have been to this day. They walk with him. Not perfect, but in their imperfection even, they taught me so much about what it means to walk in grace and walk in Christ. And I am one of you. I know what it's like. I know that sometimes there's pressure like, hey, you've got to believe what we believe. You have to be in the same place we are. You need to come near me and you need to follow the same kind of stuff. And parents may sometimes attempt to place their faith in you, force it into you. They they can do certain things to help you. And that's really their heart. It's not to force it into you. But I know what it's like. I know those struggles. It was your parents sometimes who had the major experiences with God. And they give you warnings and they, they tell you, listen to this. Pay attention to this. And sometimes it's hard because you want to learn things the hard way. You feel like, I don't get it. I don't know why. And you go through that spot. But would you listen today from a different angle. When I was growing up, I had men in my life who were kind of like dads to me. And I still have them. People who speak into my life who are older than me. And if you are a young adult, a teenager, or a kid, would you listen to me as just a dad figure in your life? Because I love you, and I care about you, and I want God's best for you. I want you to understand the fullness of God. And I don't want you to miss out. You matter to us. River of Life, have you noticed we have staff for, for our kids. We have staff for youth. We have people that are heavily pouring into young adults. The reason we do that is because you matter. You matter so much to this church. We want you to know Jesus. And we're not just focused on our students, but that is a big part of who we are. And as a little bit of a side note, bunny trail I'm going on here, I need to let you know something cool. 
You know, we, a couple of months ago, I told you Jackie Cambish, who has been our children's ministry director over the past year, is going to be moving. And uh, she didn't know when she took the job a year ago that God was going to take their family down a different path. And so here they are headed off in a different direction. So we've been praying and working through the process of identifying our next children's ministry director. And God has provided one. And so her name is Ketty Vandervelt. And uh, she is slowly stepping into the role. This past week, she joined our staff. She's going to do a great job. You will love her. In a couple of weeks, we'll have her up front here. Uh, today, she's back with the children's ministry. And she and, G- and Jackie are going to overlap for a couple of weeks. And then eventually, uh, Ketty will be able to head out on her own with that ministry. But I'm really excited to have her in that role. Taylor's role is important. Because the next generation matters to us. And that's why we do it. Church planting matters because the next generation matters. As population grows, it matters. As churches sometimes die because they didn't reach the next generation. That's why we plant churches. And that's why River of Life is going after that right now. Why we're pursuing that. But the important question for each of our generations has to do kind of like what I mentioned earlier with the Kardashians and the Rockefellers. What will we do with what's been placed in our hands? What will we do? Well, Joshua's final words to Israel lead and guide them, us, you and us, with some great advice, some great insight. In the first couple of verses, if you look at those, in verses 2 through 5, you'll see that Joshua wants them to notice something. He wants to remind them of all the amazing things that God has done so far. He reflects on that, and he points out, none of that has been because of you. None of that has happened because Israel has, has been so amazing, or because they have a great army, or because they're so smart. Nothing in that. Verse 3, it says, he has fought for you. He reminds Israel of this. It's really important for us to be reminded of what God has done. It's really important for us to sit down and hear the stories from generations that have come before us. And just like what's on the screen, the question is, will you listen to them? Will you hear those stories? Will you listen to the faith and the wisdom that has been passed on? Or do you have to learn it the hard way? You don't have to learn it the hard way. The generation behind you has so much to pass on. God has fought for you. As you look through those verses, it's, he wants us to realize, he wants Israel and us to realize that it is just as the Lord has promised. Just like he promised Christ and he gave Christ who did everything for us. You see, we don't serve God from a place where we're trying to become righteous. But because he has already declared us righteous. And in in the process, after that, he's working in us. He's transforming us as we're surrendered to him. We don't obey for righteousness. We obey from our righteousness. But we're going to live in this world, even though we're people who are declared righteous in Jesus Christ, if we trusted him as our Lord and Savior, we're going to live in this world. And Joshua's main concern for Israel is that they're going to cool off by becoming diluted to become the same as the world. See, you were intended to be able to live in the world with Christ in you. But you were, not, you were called to be separated. But you were not called to be just like the world. Because God transforms us. He, he changes us. And so God does that work in us. And that question for us is, will we listen to the wisdom of those who have come before us? In chapter 23... 
Joshua now presents three different words that are verbs. And you know what a verb is? It's an action. Something that he's calling us to do or to be. And in these, he's giving three different ways, three different things that matter as he comes to the end of his life. This matters. And the question I'm going to have for you, if you're a teenager, if you're a young adult or you're a kid, is will you listen or will you harden your heart today? And so the first thing that we find is found in verse 6. And Joshua, I believe in a loving way, said this, Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. In other words, what he's telling Israel is that what you do matters. What does he mean by that? Your choices, your actions, your thoughts, your words, your attitude, they, measure, they matter. They matter in life. You see, what do you base your life upon is what he's saying. Because what he's saying is we can measure or do, make our judgments based on a number of things. So what I'm going to do in life comes, one, from inside of me. Out of the heart, the what? Mouth speaks. And so goes so many of the other things that we do. It has to do with what's going on inside of me. And do I just respond based on my flesh? Or do I respond based on the measure of the word of God? A lot of times I've struggled with this in my life. I've woken up one day to the realization that I'm comparing myself to the world's standard. And so I'll say this in my mind. As long as I'm just 10 feet away from the world standard, I'm not quite as bad as them. And therefore I'm okay. And I look over and the holiness of God is over here. And the word of God proclaims the holiness of God. And I begin to measure myself by looking that direction instead of looking this direction. And asking God to transform me, to measure myself against his standard. So what Joshua is staying in here, if you look at the text, it's in here. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. In other words, in scripture. Measure yourself against that. See, the context of it is this. As you look at those following verses, don't turn aside from it, either to the right or to the left, that you may not mix with those nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. See, what he's saying to Israel is his concern is that Israel will begin to mix among them. Remember, the Canaanites were already under the judgment of God. Israel was to run and, and either kill or run out all the Canaanites. They were supposed to be gone from the land. And his concern is that now that the initial fighting is over, they would just grow comfortable. They would mix in with what's around them and be just like them. And he's calling for purity of heart. Doesn't want them to turn away. Have you ever asked the question, why does God have to give us this stuff? I mean, couldn't he just like let us be and just call us righteous and holy and never say any of this? Well, here's the thing. Maybe you look at it and you go, okay, I have to do this stuff. And God's saying, do it so that you're holy and you're accepted by me. And then it's a drudgery, isn't it? That's not God's heart. We might look at God's commands in scripture and we would look at it and say, well, God must have done this and he's just trying, he's just a killjoy. He's just no fun. He needs to have a little fun in life. And that's not God's heart either. God's heart in commands, what is it? God's word acts as a place of protection, 
a place of life inside of protection. When you read a command of God, anytime he calls you to do something as a follower of him, the purpose and the reason is because there's grace involved in that. Interesting. How does that play out? What's that look like in life? Well, we're going to flesh that out just a little bit here. God loves us. His instruction is because he loves us. And why would I possibly obey him? Well, John 14 gives us a little bit of more of a diagnostic into why I would obey him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. I obey the commands of God, not to make myself better or to get his acceptance, but because of a love for him. So if I look at my life and I struggle with obedience in a certain area, the root of it actually is, do I love God? Am I fully surrendered to him? And we'll talk more about love in just a minute, what love of God looks like. Throughout scripture, every time, almost every time at least, that God gives a command, he also gives a reason for it. You have to look for it, but it's almost always there. When, well, let me stop for a second. I have to pay my kids to use them as sermon illustrations. So I'm going to owe an ice cream out of this. So if you want to help me out, you could give me a Dairy Queen gift card afterwards. And I, then I can use more of these stories, okay? Shaylee was two years old. And she, our kids were all toeheads, so they struggled to get hair. She had fought for two years to grow some hair. And one day, she found the haircutting scissors in the bathroom. And Rochelle sees her down the hallway. And she spots her and she says, Shaylee, stop! And Shaylee stops. She thinks. She pauses for a minute. She steps behind the door and goes, snip, snip. (laughs) It took like two more years to grow it back. A parent says, stop. And there's a reason behind it, right? Shaylee couldn't understand that reason. In the moment, Rochelle did not have time to say, Shaylee, stop. And the reason is, but, 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 and go on with the reason, right? There's no time for that. And sometimes God's word has an instruction and it's just a quick, and you have to discover the reason later. But even later at times, as a parent, let's say Rochelle came to two-year-old Shaylee and tried to explain to her about her hair. Will two-year-old Shaylee understand? No, because she's two. There are times when our reasoning is not as high as God's reasoning. And we don't understand fully. And he may say the reason, but we don't get it yet. But why would I obey? Because I love. Because I trust. Because I'll listen. Because he's my God. And he's Lord of my life. God gives reasons. Let me give you another example. As I turn to this, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to challenge you as a congregation to do something. And this would take you a long time to do. And I hope some of you take me up on it. Throughout the New Testament, anytime you find a command of God, highlight that in one color. But then look around it at the context surrounding it. And in another color, highlight the reason that God gives the command. About 90% of what you find, you will find a reason for. Sometimes it follows a little ways later. Sometimes it'll give a whole bunch of commands and then the one reason that sums up all of those. But look for those. Take some time to do that. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. This is Mother's Day. You knew I was going to go here. Plus, it's in the Bible. I can't help myself, all right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. 
It's in there. For this is right. What is the reason for children obey your parents in the Lord? It's right. In other words, it's righteous. It's of God. It's good. It's approved by God. It's a righteous act. It's, it's a good thing. He would, he would be honored in your obedience to your parents. Listen to what else it says. He goes on, Paul goes on in this, and he, he quotes the, the uh, commandment. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honoring fathers and mothers. Think about this on Mother's Day, how to honor a parent, whether your, your parent, has, is, you haven't seen them in years or what. But we can, we can honor our parents by speaking highly of them, by praying for them, by giving grace to them, by bringing joy to their life, by a call today. There are so many ways that we can honor parents, including obedience. But what is the promise that goes along with that? That it might go well with you, Right? How many of you, by raise of hand, have disobeyed? All right. You disobeyed mom and dad. How did it go for you? Not well, right? Literally, it is true that it might go well with you. There will be more peace in your life if you obey. You get it? It's so simple. It's like... It hits me in the head and I go, yes. And when there is a good relationship with my parents, whether I'm in their home or out, it goes well for me. When that relationship is healthy, that I may live long in the land, it actually extends life to live at peace. You see the literalness of this? God gives so much good and so much grace inside of his word. Your life is made up of so many thousands of little decisions along the way and what you do with that. That's the direction of your life. And will you say yes to Jesus and the joy of walking in his grace? Second thing that, that Joshua gives to us is in verse 8. Joshua chapter 23, verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. See, Joshua is telling us to cling to something. What you cling to, though, matters. We all turn to something when the pressure is on. When we're lonely, when we're depressed, when things are not good, when there's stress in our life, we're going to cling to something and what you cling to or turn to matters. And there are all kinds of things that we can turn to and all kinds of things that we can cling to. People, boyfriends, girlfriends, popularity, work, substances that that would say this will do it. People that come along our way. The affirmation of people, sorry. Is something that we can try to cling to. Think of it like this. Brought with me some plastic wrap out of the kitchen. That plastic wrap, if I cut it, is instantly starting to cling. And it's kind of a pain to work with because it's always wanting to cling because that's what it's designed for. But if I'm going to, let's put some other things around this bowl. This plastic wrap was designed to go around this bowl. And if I'm going to put it over the bowl, but I come over here and it starts getting on this stuff, it wants to cling here. But it was really designed to be around the bowl. It can be difficult. It's not good. It's not useful when it's clinging to the wrong stuff or it's clinging to multiple things. It was made to cling around the bowl. And that's what it's there for. Now, I've called you a pan. Now, I'm calling you plastic wrap. You're a little more like plastic wrap than you want to admit. 
You, we're like that. We cling to something. Look what's happening or what Joshua is saying to them. He's actually going to affirm them for the way they've clung to the Lord. Cling to the Lord your God as you've done to this day, he says. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, and since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. In other words, they have been clinging to God. They have been turning to him. And God would be saying to us, what do you cling to when the pressure is on? Are you turning to other things, or are you clinging to God? It's a grace that we would even cling to him. But it's not... Uh, So much about who, or sorry, about what we need to cling to, but rather about who we need to cling to, and that's Jesus Christ. Do you turn to him in those moments? The Israelites had learned that lesson, and we're doing just so. The last one is found in verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to what? To what? Love the Lord your God. To love him. One of the things Joshua was saying to the Israelites, what you love matters. Love is a really cheap word nowadays, isn't it? Because I love pizza, I love the Chicago Bears, and I love the outdoors. But he isn't talking about love like that. He's talking about love in a different way. He's talking about a much deeper love. Joshua's point is so much more about what what we cling to, what we give ourselves to, and he wants us, he's calling us, he's, he's imploring us, love God, not the other things. So what he's specifically describing is you work down through 12 and 13. For if you turn your back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them. In other words, if you're literally just going to love their women, what's the problem with that? It's not talking about interracial marriage. He's talking about in doing so, in marrying them, they're going to drag you away from Yahweh, they're going to pull you to their gods, false gods. And, and he can see that tendency. He can see what might happen. Don't intermingle among them. Don't tolerate it. Finish the task that's before you. Know for certain, he says, that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, that they shall be a snare and a trap for you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. So Joshua's point is pay attention to what you love. Think of it like marriage. When two people get married, they come together and they love one another. And I'm just going to give you a bit of free advice today. About a month, maybe not even a month into marriage, you realize, oh, this thing can't run on emotions. Like it can't just be about a feeling. Because feelings are going to come and go. It's not a love that he's talking about that's based on just like I'm romantically in love with God. It's a love that's based on covenant and commitment and, and a togetherness a purity in that, that I'm not going to cheat on him and he's not going to cheat on me in that faithfulness in that relationship, a fidelity, what you are loving in your soul. Tim Keller talked about it this way though, how we oftentimes tolerate other loves at the same time as trying to love God. And he said it this way, the great danger because it is such a subtle temptation, which enables us to continue as church members and feel nothing is wrong is not that we become atheists, but that we ask God to coexist with idols in our hearts. It's not so much the concern that this slow fade would happen in our life where suddenly all we're atheists. That could happen to us. But that we would ask God to coexist with the idols in our hearts. 
Israel might have worshipped false idols if they, they might have worshipped these false idols if they married women from the Canaanites. In the same way, guys, there are idols around us constantly that we're asking God to coexist with in our life. I want to love that and I want to love that. It's like a man saying, I want to have that wife and that wife and that wife too. You can't do it. It just isn't going to work like that. It's not, it's not real love that way. Jesus lovingly said to us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. His call was come love with everything you have. Not partial. What we love is vital. Because God loves you. And inside of his love is, is both the seriousness of sin, the, his holiness, and his grace, his protection in that. Notice in verse 13, I'm so glad he warns us. This is the love of God to warn us of these things. If they sin, he said it would become a, a snare or a trap to you. Like you stepped in a bear trap and it's, it's on you. Do you see how it can trap you? It'd become a whip to your sides and thorns in your eyes. Does that sound very pleasant? It doesn't, does it? What so often seems so appealing at the beginning turns out to be a whip in our sides, an entrapment on our leg, a thorn in our eyes. You don't have to learn it the hard way. You can listen to those who've come before you who say, be careful, love God, have your heart fully committed to him. But so often we want the best of everything, right? I want all of the world. I want all of God. And we try to live that life back and forth between those two things with a divided heart. Jesus said to us in Mark eight thirty six, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? Like you can just get it all. Yet forfeit his soul. The verse right before that, he had said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You want to find life? Just as a dad figure in your life, it's going to only be found in Jesus. And it's not going to be found in a lot of the crud that you're going to see around you. It's going to be found in Jesus alone. You don't need that stuff. Is your heart faithful to him? Is, is it pure in, in being all in for Christ? And I got to tell you, there are days I wake up and I realize my heart is not all in for Christ. But you know what you do in those moments? You confess it, you repent of it, you call out to God for help, and you move forward in his grace and you step forward in that. The last couple of verses, I'll just summarize them, but he gives some promises and some warnings. He reflects on the old covenant, which is a covenant of blessing if they obey and curse if they disobey. That's the old covenant. The, the thing that we see in this passage is that Israel failed in the old covenant. They couldn't do it. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 will be on the screen here and it says this. And this verse keeps me up at night. And all that generation, this is 25 years after Joshua died. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. 
a generation that hadn't experienced the intensity of what all of Israel had gone through, who cooled off, who it wasn't transferred. They didn't have their own encounter with God, just like we need an encounter with Christ. But the new covenant, the new covenant, there's a secret ingredient in the new covenant. It's the grace of Jesus Christ and the grace found through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit that causes us to to turn to Christ, that calls on us to say, listen to the words of Scripture and I will do my work in you as you surrender to me, as you let yourself come towards me and I work in you. Those things are going to work together and, and God does the work. And we call to him to produce what he wants to produce in us. So you might think in your head, Brian, I was planning to get serious later and think about this stuff later on. And let me tell you, as just somebody who's been down that road, who thought that way, it's dangerous thinking. Because you're playing with fire around gasoline. And you're playing with matches, and it may light up. And you don't realize this now, but sin is so often like a python that starts to wrap around you. And it's much easier to have that come off early on. But as it grows, yes, Jesus can take anything off, but it's going to hurt a lot more. You can avoid a lot of pain by being surrendered to Jesus now. But here's the other thing is you're missing out big time. You are so missing out and you can't even see it. You are missing out on what God wants to do in your life. God wants to do things in you that you can't even see right now. He wants to do things through you. He wants to reward you in heaven. There's so much more that you're missing out on. You might feel like, well, it's fine. I'm just going to experiment with the best of both worlds. I'm going to try to do this. That's a double-mindedness. And God's call is be all in. Be all the way with me. I know some of you probably look around too and you see hypocrisy sitting in this room. Yeah, look at me. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite too. You see, everybody constantly is going to be letting you down. That's how it is. That's why we're here. Let me make this clear too, that not everyone in a church or every parent who says, I'm a Christian, is actually saved. They don't necessarily know Jesus as Savior. They have to have repented and turned to Christ. But you're going to see failures and weaknesses in people all the time. And let me tell you something that I don't mean this to hurt you, but you're a hypocrite too. And we're all in the same boat and we need Jesus. That's why I am here. People go to the gym to get fit. People come to church because they need Jesus. And that's why I'm here. You're going to look at my life and you're going to find underneath all kinds of places, failure. And when I sang this morning, a, thousand, a billion failures, I was just like, man, God, that is so me. I need your grace. But that's why we're here. But the question for generations will be, will you listen to a man like, like Joshua who poured out his wisdom for us in these pages? Will you listen to him? And God is calling you. There is room on the stove for you. And will you be there? Will you be heated up by him? And will faith emerge in your life as you respond to him? And will you be all in? Will you cement that today? So many small moments in life where we say yes to God or we say no to God. Right now is one of those moments. Will you be all in with him? Will you surrender everything to him? Because he loves you. And there's joy and there's grace inside of his, inside of following him and inside of his ways. I want to pray for you. 
I want to pray a prayer of blessing over our students in this church and our children's ministry and young adults in this church. And as I'm praying, if you are in the age category and God, and, well, anybody, if God has been speaking to you today and you need to do some business with him, you just, you can ignore me. You just pray to God and call out to God as I pray. Gracious Father, as I look out this morning, there are so many precious eyes looking back at me of souls that you love, of kids and teenagers and young adults and men and women all the way up through the ages. And God, you love us and we're just blown away by that. You you love us in a way that you would give up your own son for us. And Father, I just pray that our kids, this generation in front of me, that my generation, that the generation that's older than me, that we would not be the one where it's said of us that it just disappeared. It doesn't have to be that way in our story. And I believe that your spirit, even this morning, is calling some to come towards you, to fully surrender and to live in you, Christ. I pray that for our teenagers and our our young adults, Lord, that you would light them on fire in a spiritual sense, that they would know you in a deep way, that they would not be turning to the right or to the left, but that they would listen to the words that have been shared today and that they would give themselves fully to you, God. Raise up this generation to be one that pours out life in this world. God, spare them of junk that we've gone through. God, would you, in our kids' ministry area today, Pour out your spirit back there. God, give teachers the words. Lord, for our youth workers, for our our zeal workers, uh, volunteers, I pray that you would just continue to give them wisdom and insight and love for the kids and, and young adults under their care. And God, may we be faithful to just share those stories. Lord, I pray that every young adult sitting in here today and teenager would go to somebody that they trust and respect in their walk with you and ask for some stories of how they've seen you working in their lives. That we could recall those stories and gain some guidance and wisdom from them. God, thanks for this church. You love it. It's yours. And I love it too. And uh, Lord, I pray that you're blessing upon it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me for our benediction? It's Colossians chapter 3. Yeah, stretch. I went a little long, I know. (laughs) Sorry, I got going. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen.